the key word that I hear really when I talk to the chief business officers and to the president is the word strategic. They have to understand the vision for the future of the institution and what it will take to, you know, to live that vision. Welcome to Focus, a podcast dedicated to the business of higher education. I'm your host, Heather Richmond, and we will be exploring the challenges and opportunities facing today's higher learning institutions. In today's episode, I caught up with Susan Wheeler Johnston, the president and CEO of Nakubo, on her recent campus tours where she is visiting with chief business officers to learn more about their day-to-day and how the role of the CBO is shifting. Thanks so much for taking some time to talk with me today, Susan. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. That's wonderful. Well, so that everyone can get to know you better, Susan, can you give us an overview of your background in higher ed and your current role? Sure. I have spent my entire career in higher education. Um, I had assumed early in my life that I would uh, live and die as an English professor. <laughs> and I did I did spend about 20 years uh, teaching uh, English literature and serving as an administrator at a small private college in Illinois. And, uh, but I got a taste for the larger view of higher education. And as my career developed, I, I became more and more interested. And when the opportunity arose to uh, move to Washington and join a higher education association, uh, I did that. I joined the Association of Governing Boards of Universities and Colleges and worked there for quite some time. I spent the last eight years there uh, uh, as executive vice president. And it was a great uh, introduction to the world of higher education associations right. that have memberships uh, that are very broad and very deep in higher education. Uh, when the opportunity arose to uh, join Nakubo, I was delighted. Um, I, have, I worked with Nakubo when I was part of the AGB staff. Okay. And I've always thought that Nakubo had a very special and important role to play. But, you know, the, in the last 10 years, I'd say even uh, that role has gotten even more significant, more important. Yes. As Questions like opportunity and access and quality and student success um, and student debt and the cost of college and the value of an education all come together. I think that Makubo is in a very important spot to do some important work there for higher education and for um, consumers of higher education, for students and parents. On top of all of that, uh, or maybe as a backdrop for all of that, I have served many years as a board member. Um, I am currently the chair of the board of Rollins College in Winter Park, Florida, and that's my alma mater, a liberal arts college. And I'm on the board of visitors of Radford University in my home state of Virginia. So I have both... um, campus experience, board experience, but also this association experience in higher education. Well, that makes you perfect to be leading the charge there at Nakubo then. <laughs> I 
don't know. I don't know. Perfect. But <laughs> it, it gives me a lot of experience and information to draw on. That's for sure. You know, it really does. And I think that was what was so intriguing to me when I was reading about your current tour of campuses and talks with the chief business officers in your newsletter. And I was like, oh, that is great. And we have to learn more about what you've heard, and what you've learned. So can you tell a little bit about what that experience has been like for you? Sure. Uh, actually, this was a great idea that one of the board members at Nakubo had. Uh, our board is made up primarily of chief business officers, and right. and uh, they they recognize that I am not a chief business officer, but rather uh, deeply um, experienced in running associations. And so they said, you know, why don't you know it would be great if you spent some time on campus, and yeah. you know. I used to spend a lot of time on campus, so I thought it was a great idea. And I uh, started traveling, and um, I, as you mentioned, at one point I sent out an email to the Nakubo um, membership and said, hey, I've hit the road, yeah. and uh, if, you, if you want me to come and visit, let me know. And I was amazed at how many people let me know. So <laughs> uh, um, it has been great to go to visit campuses that have ranged from very large uh, research one universities to uh, small community colleges, uh, parts of systems, system offices, just a wide, wide range mm -hmm. of, of institutions and a wide range of people who work at those institutions. Uh, it's, it's really been fascinating. And the one thing that I, know that I've ended up coveting is the access to the golf cart <laughs> that a lot of these CBOs have yeah. where they just, you know, they say, let's go see the campus. Here's the golf cart. Let's go. Well, I tell you what, I wish I had a golf cart many a times so, when I was on campus as a student and also many of the campuses that I have visited as well uh, my time here at TouchNet. <laughs> I know it's wonderful. You know, uh, it's a great way to see the campus. I've had some golf carts driven by students. I've had others driven by chief business officers. I think I had a president drive me around in one. Uh, but, you know, one way or the other, you want to see the campus right. because you want to feel the life of the institution. And that's a good way to do it. Absolutely, it is. So what are the differences that you're really seeing between all these different types of schools? So you talked about, you know, you've really been to lots of different types of institutions. Well, let's see, you know, I, I, I'll just start with physical plant because it's one of the obvious uh, things. Uh, uh, system offices don't have a, as much of a physical plant. They're really an office okay. as opposed to a campus. Uh, I was on a community college campus in Maryland not long ago, and the campus was just completely um, lovely, treed, uh, had a lot of activities, new buildings. You know, I think that looking at the new buildings uh, has been fascinating, but yeah. also looking at the uh, so different type of school, a large private university, um, uh, the athletic facilities are amazing. Oh, yeah. Uh, for many of these schools, uh, because athletics are a big part of, of, um, the co-curricular experience for students, they're a large part of um, the relationship with donors. They're a large right. part of the relationship with the community. And uh, so the ways in which uh, 
physical space is used uh, is, is fascinating. Um, I have met with the people who report directly to the chief business officer, and that varies pretty widely. Right. Um, you know, it's fairly typical to get the campus security folks in there. Do they have HR as well? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Do they have IT as well? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So the differences according to, uh, you know, institutional size and mission uh, are, you know, remarkable and have made part of this visiting process a lot of fun just to get to know um, what, how is it that a chief business officer spends a day? Right. You know, who do they talk to? Who do they meet with? Who do they uh, help supervise and shape and lead? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, often I've met with presidents as well, almost always. When I've been on campus and the president has been on campus, I've had a chance to meet with him or her to talk about the relationship between the chief business officer and the president. Also met with uh, board members uh, who are there for maybe committee meetings audit committees, budget committee meetings. Yeah. And it sounds like you were being uh, driven around by students. Did you have a chance to chat with them too and get their perspective? I did. Um, that's, that's fun. You know, as a former teacher, professor, I really enjoy talking to the students. And so to talk to them about why, why did you choose this college? Yeah. And what has your experience been like? And what do you tell your friends when you go home during school break? And uh, it and and also, how has COVID been for you? What's been your experience? Mm -hmm. And you know, some schools have been open the entire time. Others have been closed much of the time and gradually opening back again. So talking to the students about their educational experience over the last several years. Uh, has been interesting. Some of them uh, telling me that while they are sophomores, their freshman year, they, they weren't even on campus. Right. So they're soph sophomores academically, but they feel like freshmen okay. because they didn't have the campus experience in their first year. Yeah, but that's really interesting. And so here they are probably still feeling a little lost and trying to figure out how to, you know, really navigate campus. And yet they're already a sophomore. Right, right. And, and uh, that's one of the things that I think people on campus are also picking up on. You know, we've got an entire sophomore class that acts in many ways like freshmen, mm -hmm. because they're just coming on campus, they're just getting their feet beneath them as college students, uh, you know, really in the full sense of the term. So that's, uh, to be honest, didn't cross my mind. Right. Uh, either as, as a board member or uh, from any other perspective, that the sophomores were really freshmen in many ways. Yeah. And when you talk about student experience, that's really at the heart of it, too. So there may have to be some shifts based upon that knowledge now. Exactly. Um, you know, how do you do you do orientation for sophomores? Right. <laughs> you know, that's one of the one of the questions that maybe they need that mapping experience that uh, that the incoming freshmen are getting to learn how to get from where they need to go to you know where their where their classes are where the cafeteria is uh, where the residence halls are 
and uh, you know where the football game's going to be, right. where the art gallery is, all of that stuff. They need to have their mapping experience. Exactly. Those are all very important things. Well, it sounds like these visits have really been great. And I can only imagine as you continue to journey through the rest of the year, um, you know, how many more CBOs and others across campus you'll get to talk to. <laughs> so beyond your recent campus visits, though, what are you seeing really for the future with the chief business officer? Well, you know, uh, it was one of the questions I had when I joined Nakubo now nearly four years ago is what what is the future? Uh, and it doesn't have to be 50 years future. It could be five years into the future. What does it look like? And it turns out that four years ago when I joined Nakubo, um, we didn't know that we had a pandemic to deal with. And right. we didn't know what we were going to have to do to the uh, budget models, the, uh, the financial plans for our institutions. None of us knew that. And yet it seems to me that it, the conversations that were going on four years ago are very uh, good indicators of what we need today and, and into the future. The key word that I hear really when I talk to the chief business officers and to the presidents is the word strategic. Mm, yeah. Uh, often, um, when people think of chief business officers, they think of, you know, balancing the books, right. debits and credits, getting a clean audit. But uh, for a chief business officer to really be successful, they have to be strategic. They have to be strategic thought partners with the president, often with the board, yeah. with their colleagues on the, um, you know, president's cabinet. Um, they have to understand the vision for the future of the institution and what it will take to, you know, to live that vision. Right. Uh, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of institutions are finding that it is, we're not going back to business as usual. Right. We are looking for new ways to accomplish our mission, perhaps ways to refine the mission so that it is in better alignment with what student needs are and what the reality of of um, uh, this post-pandemic world is going to be. Uh, but certainly being strategic with a number one um, uh, key word that I heard visiting uh, on these uh, campuses and visiting with the individuals, uh, that's uh, one of the things that I think differentiates an old an older view of the chief business officer from what's needed now and into right. the future. Just one, one more thing, often the chief business officer can be the closest partner to the president. Um, when I grew up as a faculty member, the assumption was that the provost was. Okay. And, you know, campus to campus, it could be uh, the provost, it could be the chief business officer, but more times than not, what I find is that the President and the CBO have a special alignment in terms of being able to accomplish their vision, in terms of being able to activate their strategic plans. Right. And I think it's all about the timing, too, that you talked about in the past. Maybe business officers were not brought in at quite the right time. And so now being at that strategic role, they're really there at the beginning of the conversation. Right. A absolutely. Um, 
they are often the translator, the community builder, um, the, the factoid purveyor, uh, the data carrier um, for the institution right. that helps people really be able to, to get the vision, understand the, the steps that are required to activate that. Absolutely. Well, you know, between the pandemic, you know, really creating this boom in remote learning and also accelerating the use of mobile and contactless technologies on campus, and of course, you know, the demographics all changing, you know, it really sounds like we're at a crossroads of several catalysts for change. So maybe we can delve into that a little bit more. And let's really start with that shifting technologies. What conversations have you Mm -hmm. had about how tech is really impacting a campus now? Well, I think the biggest um, change for higher education came, gosh, almost two years ago, maybe a little longer than two years ago. No. It was two years ago when we had to shift from regular classes. Suddenly we were online. Right. And we stayed there, uh, pretty much stayed there for the rest of the uh, academic year of 2020. Uh, Now in 2022, still, you know, within the pandemic, although things seem to be looking a little brighter for us, but uh, we are um, finding that online learning and access to materials online and other online experiences, for instance, nursing online. Mm -hmm. Uh, Several years ago, somebody said, you can't do that. Right. Of course you can. Of course you can. And, um, you know, helping to train faculty to teach with online pedagogy is much, uh, is a very necessary part of this, but the big change, I think, uh, breaking down any barriers that remained for online learning occurred during the pandemic. So that's a huge change. I think another thing that we see is the really a tremendous focus that people are putting on the student experience, right. student success, student experience, uh, equity, and technology has a, a mammoth role to play in that, in helping students understand their own progress toward their degree, uh, staying in contact with their advisors, uh, staying in contact with um, people who are going to help ensure that they get the skills that they need to graduate mm-hmm. and the skills that they need to get employed. So there's a, a, a lot of reliance on technology for um, increasing equity, uh, increasing inclusion, increasing student success. Absolutely. It's it's definitely the way of the world and all of us in our daily consumer lives even, right? It's, it's the same. So we go to campus, oh, yeah. same expectation. <laughs> Absolutely. I, uh, I had to return something yesterday uh, and put it in a box, slipped it in a FedEx uh, box right. on the street. And before I got home, I had a message saying, thanks for uh, starting the return process. Right. They'd already picked up and, and processed electronically what I was doing. And I was getting immediate feedback. Uh, so that's, 
you know, we have that at home. We have that in our daily lives. Mm -hmm. I have it in my car. Right. You know, I have it out on a walk. Students want the same thing when they come to campus and their parents want them to have it too. That's the new way of the world, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So residence halls are um, uh, more wired than they've ever been. Uh, the technology absolutely has to be seamless. Um, it's still not. There's there are lots of room. There's lots of room for improvement. Right. Uh, even as uh, we continue to do classes online or special events online, we we learn what um, you know when we hit the brick wall. The uh, technological brick wall. Right. We you know we need to figure out how to get through that and quickly. Yes, we absolutely do. And so I'd say there's also with technology, coupled then with the shift in enrollment trends and the demographics, let's talk a little bit about that and what you're seeing there with enrollment trends. Well, you know, is there a person in higher education who hasn't heard the term enrollment cliff? <laughs> um, I, you know, Nathan Graw uh, wrote a, a very wonderful but very scary book right. about that. And uh, has has come out with another book to kind of give us a little more hope that that uh, this isn't just all doom and gloom for us. But yeah. certainly the enrollment patterns are shifting. Uh, in part, they're shifting by region of the country. Uh, so uh, Florida may be getting more students. New England fewer students. Uh, the Midwest fewer students. The Southwest uh, more students. Um, and um, what we're looking at is a decline in the typical 18 to 22-year-old typical college-going age right. student. So that is, not, uh, that is not the average student, but it's the typical college-going student. So those institutions that are, um, you know, perfect for the 18 to 22 year old. They're really built for that. They're paying attention to what's happening with enrollment and right. whether they are overbuilt, whether they need to change their building. I, I talked to one CBO who said, I am not building any more parking decks <laughs> and until I know whether our students are zooming in or driving in. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, you know, and and then there's the question of, well, in five years, will we have fewer students and therefore I don't need to increase the available parking on campus? Mm -hmm. uh, I heard a fascinating uh, conversation about uh, Greek, uh, you know, so fraternity and sorority residence halls, you know, the house that that uh, that these uh, kids live in, right. students live in, and um, there's an awful lot of uh, uh, questioning about whether this is going to be a declining population, mm. people who are participating in the um, Greek life, and uh, what are we going to do with that property right. on our campuses? Um, just if you think for a minute. Uh, I grew up near Emory University in Atlanta, and okay. there was an entire road lined with uh, fraternity and sorority houses. Do they, are they going to need all of that? Yeah. And if they don't, what will they do with the real estate? So there are some real questions about, you know, the need for classroom space, the need for residence halls, the need for parking 
uh, lab space, places to dine, all kinds of questions based on what people see as enrollment trends. And, you know, the 18 to 22 year olds, we, we've been told already that number, uh, that will be declining. But we will have uh, students who are older. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're students with some college education, but not a degree, or no college education, but they want a degree. Um, will they be living on campus? Do they have children? Will they need, if they live on campus, will they need family housing instead of housing for a single individual? Oh, yeah. So there are more questions to ask and answer as we build the campus for the future. It sounds very similar, I'll say, to in the corporate world and offices and commercial real estate. And as we do more of this hybrid approach, how much do you need from an office building and what, you know, you know, uh, assets do you need to be part of it? So it's, it's very similar. <laughs> it, it is indeed. I was just reading an article about um, city centers uh, where once were populated by business people nine to five or five days a week, um, now they're kind of looking at, you know, where'd everybody go? Right. And have we we overbuilt? Exactly the same question. It absolutely is. Well, so with all these variables and all of this change, do you, you know, have any advice for how higher ed leaders can really best prepare their institutions for what's next? Gosh, I, I, well, some. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think that uh, what's really necessary is a deep, deep understanding of the institution, its mission and its market. Mm-hmm. Um, who, who, were, who was the institution designed to serve? And how's that population? Is it growing? Is it declining? Uh, is it overbuilt? Um, and based on your assessment of the mission and the market, what do you need to do? In some cases, the mission and the market are fine and, and institutions are refining. They're refining their academic offerings. They're refining the mm-hmm. uh, uh, social offerings, uh, the co-curricular offerings. Uh, one of the things I just love is the addition of esports. Right. to the intercollegiate athletic offerings of, of colleges and universities. It's such a clever, responsive thing for institutions to do. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that's one of the things uh, to understand. I, I think another is to uh, pay attention to um, the student experience. Mm-hmm. Um, if your student body is going to be changing, if and most of our institutions will have a changed student body? Will they be more diverse? If so, what will um, be appealing? What will be necessary to help students that may come to campus with very different experiences from the students of 10 or 15 years ago? Right. Um, And uh, what will need to be done for them Uh, I'd also look at academic programs. That's part of looking at your market. Um, What is it that is appealing to them? Uh, It used to be that talking about jobs was not really what people did when they went to college. College was an end in itself for many people. But now job, the job is the end. Right. Uh, 
um, the endpoint. And so how can colleges and universities start to talk about careers and job development? What can they offer um, for students uh, and to give comfort to parents too, uh, that when a student graduates, there are job opportunities that will help students uh, live a good life, uh, succeed as citizens and individuals uh, after their college experience. Absolutely. And, and I think that, as you were saying, too, it triggered me thinking about the facilities and the buildings on campus. And that may be a, a, an opportunity for transition, too. I know, you know, that uh, several schools already, you know, for summertime had used them for camps. I know that during COVID, uh, some of the, our institutions I had talked with, you know, were using it for the, the medical and being able to have a place to, to have medical, mm -hmm. you know, come and get set up. So I think there's gonna be some really interesting use cases of how a campus does shift. Yes, I, I, I absolutely. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of unused uh, residence hall space being used for isolation purposes, for instance. Right. Uh, but as you say, also uh, some schools have opened up their residence halls so that primary care uh, doctors and nurses didn't have to drive all the way home at the end of their shift. They could go to a residence hall on a campus nearby recover, sleep, and get back to work right. uh, during the worst of worst of COVID. Mm -hmm. So, um, and there are, there are all kinds of needs of the community that campuses may well be positioned to address. Uh, you know, a, a college or a university campus is a small town. Right. Uh, sometimes it's a big city. Uh, and uh, when it, uh, considers all of the assets it has uh, as a city or a town, uh, it may well uh, become one of the go-to places for the surrounding community or the state uh, as you look toward the future and what both the state needs or the community needs and what the campus has to offer. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think they're just, again, massive shifts and change. And, and uh, we often talk about a campus like a small city, too, with you think about all the commerce that happens and all the merchants and, you know, everything that's going on from faculty and staff and students and the academic side and the business side. There's a lot happening on a college campus. Absolutely. Uh, it's one of the busiest places I know. And uh, it was it was interesting to see the amount of coverage that uh, colleges and universities receive during COVID right. um, because it was like being able to look at a lot of thousands of small towns and uh, cities. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Susan. We look forward to hearing more about your visits with CBOs and campus <laughs> leaders throughout the year. That was fun. Thank you so much. Well, it's apparent that business roles in higher ed are continuing to evolve and are a bigger part of a university or college's strategic vision. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Focus. Don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the business of higher education. For more information, check us out at touchnet.com.